If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning, we're going to read our text, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, says, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for, for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. And 1 John 4, verses 18 and 19 say, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. You may be seated. We've been, uh, we're in this series called All in the Family, and as we've gone through it, as we've started the series off, um, we've started talking about what I believe is the most important relationship, the number one relationship in a family, and therefore I also believe the number one relationship in building a solid, strong local church, and that's the marriage relationship. We have talked about two pillars as we talked about building a, uh, a solid marriage. I asked the question at the beginning, what makes a solid marriage? And I answered it, uh, I'm answering that question with four pillars of life, of our, of our own lives. The first two pillars were the pillar of personal faith. Second one was the pillar of personal accountability. And today we're going to be talking about pillar number three, the pillar of personal character. Now, all of this starts, we're, we're talking about personal in this, and you may say, well, what, what are we, we're talking about marriage, which is two, but why are you talking about personal, which is one? Because a marriage is built by two individuals, and if individuals aren't strong in individuals, then that marriage is not going to be a strong relationship. And remember, what we're talking about is building a strong Christian marriage, a strong godly marriage. Therefore, what we talk about is being a strong Christian in these areas. Today, as we talk about that pillar of personal character, I'm going to point out a few things about it. I believe the pillar of personal character has the potential to be the strongest and most sturdy pillar on which your marriage is built because it's the strongest pillar on which your life is built. If we are not strong individually, if we don't have a strong core of character, we'll not be able to be a strong part of a marriage relationship. In 1 Peter 3, 4, we're told that the true us should not be a facade that we can so easily put on and present as truth. We all know people like that. Maybe you've been that way. As I was talking with uh, Tracy yesterday before, the, uh, before the, the, the memorial service, he told me, he said, Pastor, right now, he says, I'm, I'm learning how to, I've learned very much how to put that mask on right now. And those of you who have gone through the loss of a loved one, when you're dealing with others and people come up and say, I'm sorry for your loss, and they express their condolences, you, you do many times put on that mask of I'm, I'm strong, I'm getting through this, where on the inside, you're really not that strong and you're, you're breaking apart. It's understandable in times like that as we go through tragedy and we have to deal with that and we go through the mourning process. But when we go through, when we look at the pillar of personal character and being a person of character, 1 Peter 3, 4 tells us that that true us should not be a lie. It should not be a mask. 
Peter writes to us, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. I, I say it quite often because I mean it, and I think it's important to understand for the church to understand and for people to understand the role of a pastor and what a pastor is and what a pastor isn't. And I say this quite often, the only thing I have to offer you is my integrity or my character. I'm, I'm not going to make you rich. I don't have, all, I don't have special powers uh, to grant you this or that or the other thing. All I have to bring to you is my character. All I have to bring to you is my integrity. And you will follow and you will be a part of this church and you will be involved and you will listen to me based on whether you think I am a man of character or not, whether you believe you can trust me. Now, you may not always agree with me. You may not agree with everything I say. You may not agree with everything I do. But it's the same for me. I may not agree with you. I may not agree with everything you do. I may not agree with everything you say. But if I can trust you and if you can trust me, we can build a strong relationship and we can build a strong church. Because character is what strong is, is probably, I believe, the strongest pillar on which to build a life and the strongest pillar on which to build a relationship, especially a marriage. In David's great prayer of repentance, he understood exactly what God is looking for from us in our character. Psalm 51.6 says, Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Once again, we can all be fake. We can all be phony. Um, I, when I first... When, when, one of the times I went to college, <laughs> I went to college in Missouri, at Baptist Bible College, Springfield, Missouri. And how many of you remember MCI WorldCom? MCI WorldCom. You might have got a phone call from me because, because I was a telemarketer. Now, I probably shouldn't be talking about character and saying I was a telemarketer because telemarketers did not have, they, and they still don't have the greatest reputation. Um, I'll tell you what, in that field as a telemarketer, you, you, it was either feast or famine depending on how you did your job. And you could either work at your job and try to be a good salesperson who had integrity, and there are those people that do that, or you could be someone who didn't approach their job with integrity. I remember one guy that worked on our, in, in my bay, on my team, and he was one of the top sales reps. And I could always tell when he had a fish on the line because he would stop rocking in his chair, he would lean into his computer, he would put his hands over his headphones, and his voice would go down about three levels. And he was lying to the people, telling them what they wanted to hear. What was worse is we had a lot of a lot of young people who went to BBC. We had a, young, a lot of young people who went to other, there were two other Christian, one Christian university and a Christian college in there. And a lot of them did real well and they did real well because they didn't, didn't share the truth and they didn't take integrity as their byword as they did that job. If I want to build something that lasts, if I want to be someone who you will trust. If I want my wife to be able to trust me, 
and believe in me and, and have faith in me, then I'd better be a person of character. If you want to build a strong Christian marriage, if you want to be successful in your marriage, you better be a person of strong character. And character is not necessarily what you present. It may be. I, I try my best to be who I am up here as well as out there. I think the biggest difference between me up here and out there is uh, up here I'm, I'm much bolder than I am in real life. I'm much more withdrawn uh, in, 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 I should say, real life. In out there, uh, when I'm down from the pulpit, I'm much more withdrawn and much, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm actually a pretty shy person. Um, but uh, yeah, Aaron says I'm a wallflower. And she is, she is life enough for both of us in our marriage. Uh, so I can, I, and if, if, it was a, if it was a party, Aaron would be the one dancing around while I'm just standing there, you know, letting her, that'd, that'd be us. Um, but if I want you to be able to trust me, if I, if I ask you to follow me as the pastor, then I better present to you character. If I want Aaron to love me and give me her trust, then I better be a person of character. I better be a man of character and integrity. When God sent Samuel to anoint David as king, he made sure that Samuel knew that the true self is not what we present on the outside. It's who we are on the inside. Your, the important decisions in your life are made from what's on the inside. The actions you take in life are on the inside. We've been watching a show on TV and any of you watch Breaking Bad? I just, just got around to watching Breaking Bad. It's a, it's a fun show. I mean, it's totally, uh, it's, it's crazy. But I've been watching that. Aaron and I have been watching that. And, you know, ultimately the question comes up, would you do that? Have you ever had that conversation with your spouse? Would you do that? The guy, he's, he's diagnosed with cancer and he wants to leave money for his family and he's a chemist so he starts making methamphetamine. And that's, that's the whole thing. He becomes, becomes a drug dealer while he's, still a high school, <laughs> while he's still a high school teacher, you know? And <laughs> like, well, geez, I wonder if, you know, what would I do if somebody came up to me and said, here, take this bag full of something, don't open it, but drive from here to New Jersey, and when you get back, I'll give you $10,000. You know, that's probably not a legal, that's probably, you're probably not doing something upstanding, but would you do it just for the money? Character makes that determination. Character decides whether you're going to do the right thing all the time or whether you're going to skirt around the rules. Samuel was told by God in 1 Samuel 16, he was a little frustrated because he looked at seven of Jesse's sons and none of them were the right one. And he looked at Eliab, who was a big, strong, strapping individual, and God said, he's not the one. And, and Samuel was frustrated and kind of like, God, God, what are you looking for? God said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. So the one thing we fool ourselves with as human beings is thinking that we can fool God. It's thinking that we can con God in our lives. We can... We can fool God into thinking that we are something we're not. When what, God do, when what God wants is not something you're not, he wants who you are. He wants what you are. 
Because if you will come to him honestly, where you're at, who you are, and what you are, he can now work with it. He calls us clay. I mean, if that doesn't tell you that he wants to make us something special and, wants, and, and doesn't expect us to come to him fully made, we don't have to lie to him. We just have to come to him as we are. Come just as you are. Then I don't know what will. He just wants, he just wants you as you are. If what I have been asserting in this series so far is true, that the marriage relationship is the foundation of a godly family and that God, godly families are the building blocks of a successful local church, then what matters more in a relationship than happy appearances and the trappings of success is the fact that the two lives that are becoming one are solid lives of Christ-like character. Function cannot come from dysfunction. Unhealthy cannot reproduce healthy. We have to understand that if we are going to be solid Christian families, if we are going to participate in a church, in a local church, and help build a strong local church, then we have to be honest and truthful people of character. Proverbs 31 asks the question, who can find a virtuous woman? What that question the following verses are stating is very simple. A great wife and mother is one who finds their virtue in God and his word. In Ezekiel 22:30, one of my favorite verses, says that God is looking for men to stand up with courage and fill the gaps in society. What that passage is saying is that God is looking for men whose lives are filled with Christ-like character. Today, God isn't looking for a champion. He's not looking for an eloquent speaker. God is looking for men who will stand up and fill the gap of manhood. We have an epidemic in our society, and it's an epidemic of the loss of godly masculinity. We have a generation of men who have grown up not understanding what it is to be a man of God. And it is incumbent upon us, those of us who have had the benefit of being raised by godly parents. And I didn't say a godly father because some of us were raised by godly mothers. And we are the people we are today because moms cared enough to instill in us what we needed to have to be men of God. And even though it may have taken you five or ten or even more years to come around to that, you are who you are because either your mother or your father or both helped create you as the man of God you are today. God's looking for men like that to mentor the young men of our church and our society so that they can mentor their sons and raise up godly men. You may be able to fool the people in your life. You may be able to fool the people in your church. You may even be able to fool the people in your home. But you cannot fool God. Your life may be closed off to others, but to God, it's an open book. He knows who you are deep down in the places that you don't share with others. Those deep places are where your true character resides. I guess what I'm trying to say here is this. 
You can live a lie. You can try to hide from everybody else. And you can even try to hide from God who you are. But it's futile when it comes to God. Because he knows who you are deep down inside. So if you're going to try to build a marriage and you are concerned about building it on true Christian godly character, then one of the first things you need to do is be honest with God about who you are in him. What God desires from you is honesty and character. You see, you're either true or you're a liar. You're either a person of character or you're a hypocrite. There's no middle ground. God's looking for that honesty of character, the willing heart that follows his way and follows his truth and lives according to his word. Once again, remember, way back at the beginning of this series, I told you, it doesn't matter what society says. We're not looking at what society is saying. What we're looking at is what the Bible has to say about our lives and our marriages and our homes. That's what we're concerned about. And if you are going to build a strong marriage, and if you're going to build a strong life of character and bring that character to the marriage relationship, then you must begin to be concerned about the things of God and his word. That's the kind of character he expects us to bring to our marriages. That's the kind of character your spouse should be able to expect from you. That's the kind of character that will build a godly home and a solid local church. That's the kind of character that your children should be able to expect from you. What are the components of Christ-like character? Well, in this message, it's going to be a two-week message. I found that out in the first service. We're going to be talking about five elements of Christ-like character. And they may not be what you think they are. <laughs> One of the great things about life and about talking about topics is that when we bring a topic up and everybody brings their thoughts and their opinions and their takes on things, we have a, a gumbo, if you will, of opinions and attitudes and insight. So this is kind of what, as I've prayed and asked God for insight into what builds Christian character, godly Christian character, these may be a little bit different than what you'd think, but I believe they come to the very heart of the matter of what it means to be a true individual of character who's not only trying to live truth, but bring truth to their marriage relationship. The first component is this, true love for others. If you are going to be a person of character, you must have true love for others. Not fake, not an act, not lust, not jealousy, true and honest, Christ-like love. The question you have to ask yourself is this, do you truly and honestly understand what Christ-like love is? You say, well, that's kind of odd, Pastor John. I don't, where, yeah, that would kind of, that's kind of a stretch. Let me explain. It's not enough to be in love. You must live love by the way you act. It's not enough just to be in love. It's not enough just to love things. You must live love by the way you act. I grew up loving church. We were there all the time. My family was in church all the time. Sunday morning, I've said this before, Sunday school, then Sunday morning service, 
then training union on Sunday night, and then Sunday night service, and then we were there on Wednesday night. And my parents would go out on visitation on Thursday night, door knock, back, back in the days of door knocking and handing out tracts. And uh, my parents would do all those things. So we were in church all the time. And I loved church. I loved everything about the church. I loved the, uh, I, I loved the people of the church. I loved the relationship of the church. I loved everything about it. I loved the music. I loved, uh, I even loved the hymn books and, and all of that. I loved carrying my Bible into church. I loved the trappings of the church. But there came a point in my life where I had to ask myself the question, am I in love with church or am, am I in love with Jesus? Because I could very easily say that I loved everything about the church, but my heart wasn't set on him. I, I love how the church operates. One of the things I love so much about the church is that it's voluntary. Nobody, nobody comes here, you don't get paid for being here. You come here and you take responsibility. If you're, if you're watching us online, if you've been faithful watching us online and have been faithful giving financially over this year, I think that's incredible. I find it amazing. Gabriel and Michael, they, they're starting to understand what I do for a living. They used to say, and then all you ask Aaron, they used to say, Dad, you don't have a job. <laughs> Thought that was funny. Because when, after, after the, boy, when the boys first moved in with us, I was working out of the house, and Aaron was going off every day to United Healthcare. So we would take Mom to work. But they didn't see that when they were taking a nap or when they were watching Doc McStuffins or one of those other Mickey Mouse in the clubhouse and, uh, and, uh, or Frozen for the 397,000th time. Oh, truly let it go. Uh, oh my gosh. They didn't see that I was at the table on my computer working on my sermon. They didn't see when I went to bed, I would stay up until late at night working on my sermon. So they didn't think I had a job. And they would tell people, they would tell their teachers in school, yeah, my dad doesn't work. It's like, wow, that's something. And so they said that to me one day. I said, Dad, you don't have a job. I said, well, yeah, I do. Well, what do you do? Well, I'm the pastor of the church. You know, Dad, everybody goes to church. I said, yeah, and you try to explain this to, to kids their age. I said, yeah, but I'm, I, I'm the one that's in charge. I'm the one that I preach on Sundays, and it takes a, I do these things. And, I, and it's really tough to explain to the mind of a kid when they can't see it, what you do. And it's gotten to the point now where I have a pair of Air Force aviator sunglasses, okay? The mirror, the mirror sunglasses. Now Michael, my, Michael is, Michael is our, um, he, Michael is Latino all the way, man. I mean, he is, re he is Rico Suave. He really is. He gets the hair going and he's dressed. And <laughs> Michael loves my aviator sunglasses. He wanted to wear them on the baseball field yesterday. Like, no, Michael, you're not going to wear those out there. And he said, Dad, he said to me, he says, Dad, you're rich. It's like, what? He says, Dad, these are rich sunglasses. <laughs> like, 
are you talking about? He says, these are so cool, Dad. These are rich sunglasses. I'm like, okay. And something else would happen. The boys would come to us and say, Dad, man, we're really rich. Like, if you only knew. <laughs> and I finally got to be able to explain to them, listen, guys, let's put the two together. The reason we have food on our table and the reason that we have a roof over our head is because I work and I have a job and I'm the pastor of a church. And people give, they sacrificially give to our church. And part of the money that comes in pays for the lights and it pays for the property and it pays for the, the programs. But part of that money goes to me for my salary. So if you're rich, if you think we're rich, you need to thank the people of our church because they pay me. And that's one of the one of that's the heart of it for me. Why I love the church so much. Because you folks don't have to be here. You choose to be here. You choose to sacrifice your time. You choose to sacrifice everything that you do. You choose to sacrifice. I mean, nowadays with I feel I, I, I put $50 worth of gas in my truck yesterday and it got halfway between three quarters and full. <laughs> it didn't, it filled up. Last year at this time, I put $38 in and it was full. We're not the only one who are seeing prices go up. You are as well. But did you know that our church is, is better off financially now? Then we went, then Cliff, Cliff and, and Mary could attest, we're better off financially now than when we started into the pandemic. I love that. But I had to ask myself the question when I was a younger man, do I love the church? And do I love the structure of the church? Or do I love the God of the church? Is my love for the church motivated because of my love of Jesus? And that's what I had to come to. And if I'm going to have, the point of it is this, if I'm going to have true love for others, I must understand what true love truly is. If I'm going to have true love for my wife in my marriage, I must understand what true love truly is. It's not enough to be in love, you must live love by the way you act. First Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that in our lives and relationships, we can be eloquent. Some of you ladies have received cards before. Or gentlemen, you've received cards. And those cards have been worded in such a way that it's melted your heart. And it's been very eloquent. And it has spoken deeply of the love others have for you. But you can be eloquent. You can be a great philanthropist. You can be the best gift giver that the world has ever seen. You can be intelligent and wise and amazingly sacrificial. But if we don't have true love... We're nothing but an empty shell. It's amazing to me that we can do all those things and still not understand true love. That to me is just incredible. First Corinthians 13 describes true love as displaying patience, kindness, humility, tact, graciousness, having a short memory, a love of truth, unselfishness, a belief in the possible. I think 
I think one of the greatest things that love is, is a belief in the possible. When we decided to buy a house, I told Aaron, I said, I don't think so. I don't think we can do it. I, I just, I never ever thought in my lifetime I would ever be able to buy a house. I just never did. But Aaron did. So I said, okay, let's, let's do it. And we pursued it. And it was her belief in the possible and my love for her and her love for me that motivated us to buying the house that we have now. We, uh, that one of the, the reasons I love, and our house is, mo- is a modest home. It's a quirky home. We've got a tower, you know? It's, a, it's, it's got, um, it's got a, a one, one level and then on one side it's got a tower and it's in the, in the neighborhood they call it the house with a tower and that's an addition. Um, and it's got a, a nice yard, but it's, it's nothing, it's not a McMansion in the suburbs. But for me, it's a palace and I love it because that represents the love that my wife and I have for each other and our belief in what was possible. First Corinthians 13 tells us that true love will believe the possible. True love will have a hope for a future and an endurance during the good times and the difficult times. That's true love. Okay, we could say all that, but when it comes to loving others and when it comes to having character and true love being a component of having character, why is that so important? Why, why would I put that as the very number one? Because of this next point. Love finds its essence. Love finds its very beginning in God. I I love to hike. I still do. I can't do it right now. Um, Hopefully after this this next hip surgery, I'll be able to hike again. I love it. I love going. I love walking in the mountains. Erin loves the beach. She loves to go sit at the beach. And it's okay. I don't mind it. But I love hiking. I love climbing mountains. I love walking trails. I used to love running trails. I love that kind of stuff. One time I went and I climbed Mount Monadnock in New Hampshire. And it's a good climb. Mount Monadnock is, is a mountain of granite and there are actually granite steps cut out to walk up in some parts. And as I walked up that, as I climbed up Mount Monadnock in New Hampshire, as I got, re- as I got very close to the top, dark clouds started coming in. And then a thunderstorm hit. And it was a severe thunderstorm. And it started raining. And it was raining buckets. And it was raining so much that I had to, had to, I had to turn back and, and, uh, and walk back down. And as I did, I noticed that the water was running down the mountain and it was forming streams. And as it got farther down, those streams got bigger. And it started following a path and it got into these dry gulches that filled only when it rained. And it became a raging stream, not a river, but a raging stream. And that water ran down into other streams. And those streams ran into rivers. So I saw the source of a river in a rainstorm on a mountain. Everything has a source. Everything has a beginning. Everything comes from something. And love, true love, 
finds its source, its very essence in God. And that's why true love is a foundational building block for your character. Because true love for God, true love for others comes from God. It mimics, it imitates the love that Jesus has for us. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. God is the very source of love. Love finds its beginning, its emanating point in God. Therefore, if we're going to have true Christian character modeled and, and, and motivated by Jesus Christ, it must be motivated for true love for others. True Christ-like love will get you through the difficult times, even times of betrayal and sin. And I know that is very difficult to talk about. It's very difficult to think about. And we're not just talking about infidelity. We're talking about other times, those those times where your spouse isn't completely honest. Those times when your spouse says something that isn't the brightest thing to say. When your spouse does something that just isn't right and hurts your feelings right to the core. 1 Peter 4, 7, and 8 is one of our text verses. It says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Listen, when I, when I talk with people who are in crisis in their marriage, first question I'll ask is this, do you love each other? Do you love each other? Second question is this, do you want this marriage to succeed? Or is this the end? If, you, if, if you're not going to work at it, if you don't think this marriage has got a, a chance, then we're just going to be wasting our time here. You first must believe and want your marriage to last, and that must come from a heart of true love. Do you love your spouse? Listen, you're not going to build a strong Christian marriage without Christ-like love. You can have a marriage, you can go along in life, and you can do all the things that married people do, but you are never going to have a Christ-like marriage that is a solid Christian marriage and raises solid Christian kids and is, the building blo- is, a, is a building block for a solid local church unless you have true Christ-like love for each other. What will get you through those difficult times is that love. Why? Because Jesus loves you that way. If, if you were to sit Jesus down and ask him after you have messed up big time and ask him those two questions, Jesus, do you still love me? He would say yes. And if you would then ask him and say, Jesus, do you want this, do you want this relationship to continue and be successful? His answer would be yes. Therefore, when we come to our marriage, and the reason his answers would be yes is because he is, his, his relationship with us is motivated by his love for us. Therefore, if we want our marriages to succeed, they must be motivated by Christ-like love. True Christ-like love will compete, complete your marriage like nothing else can. Not good looks, 
Not children, not money, not success. Nothing, nothing will cause your marriage to be successful like true Christ-like love. 1 John 4, 18 and 19, another, our other text verse. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love, complete love, Christ-like love, Jesus love drives out fear, drives out doubt, drives out anger, drives out sin, drives out frustration. Because fear involves punishment. I think, a, I think the, the old King James has a, a better word for that when it says true love involves, has torment. So I don't think punishment is a really good word to talk about. In a marriage, there's really not a lot of punishment between husband and wife. There shouldn't be. There sure is torment, isn't there? Man, when your spouse betrays you in some way, if you truly love that person, that torments you deep in your spirit. When you betray your spouse, man, we can, be, we can beat ourselves up better than anybody else can, can't we? We can treat ourselves horribly because of what we've done. But true love does not involve torment. True love will be able to get beyond that. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. If we're going to build true Christian character, and if we're going to allow that true Christian character to build a solid, godly, Christ-like marriage, we have to have true love for others. True love for others. Now, the second component of solid Christian character is this, self-respect. Self-respect. Now, that might seem like an odd one, but self-respect. Let, let me say this, explain it this way. If you can't respect yourself, no one else will. If you can't respect yourself, no one else will, including your spouse. Gentlemen, if you want, to be, if, if you want your wife to respect you as a man, act like one. I, I think one of the greatest tragedies in our society today, I've said it before, I'll say it again, is that we are losing true masculinity. You want, gentlemen, if you want to read a good book on what it means to be a, a truly a man, read the book Wild at Heart. It is a great, I don't agree with everything in there, but the book Wild at Heart. And ladies, if you want to understand a man's heart, <laughs> read the book Wild at Heart. If you want to understand, if you're raising boys and you want to understand boys who are going to grow up into men, Read the book Wild at Heart, and you'll find out what, what a, being a, a real man and the real desires in a man's heart are. I think, you know, some of you are raising boys, some of you are watching us are raising boys, and that's, that's what you have. You, some of you have a mix, some of you have just sons. Your sons don't have to be they don't have to fit a certain mold to be considered a boy. I, I remember when we were bringing Gabriel and Michael into the house, and I was like, ah, we're going to you know, play baseball and this and that and thing. And Aaron asked me the question. Quite honestly, my first wife asked me the same question about Zach. Said, 
what if your sons don't like baseball? I don't know if Erin remembers when she asked me that question. And I was, it, 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 I thought I was having a heart attack. Like, what are you, that's impossible. It's impossible. And I was, you know, joking, but I had to ask that, myself that question. Would I think any less of my sons if they didn't like sports? Did you know that not all men like sports? Not all boys like sports. And that, that doesn't disqualify them from being male. Some of them, so, some kids, I, they, I remember, uh, they're not in here, Jeremy, when, when Jeremy, my nephew, was a kid. Jeremy, he was the dirtiest kid you'll ever want to meet. He would go around with his father, and they would fix oil, for, they would clean oil furnaces. You remember? They'd, fix, they'd clean oil furnaces. And they'd go, and they loved trains, and they would go out to train tracks, and they, would, they were train chasers. And they would chase trains. And they would go dig in the dirt. There wasn't a baseball or a football around. They were, but they were all boy. Jeremy and Josh were all boy. Listen, don't, don't think your, your son or your husband has to be a certain, and we're going to talk about this in a second, don't think they have to fit a certain mold to be considered a man. But by the same token, don't try to fit them into your mold of what you think a man is. Ladies, the worst thing you can do to your husband or to your sons is to emasculate them. Let them be a man. Let them be a boy. Let them become who God has created them to become. Morgan Harper Nichols said, there is no need to keep tearing yourself down when God is building you up every day. If you don't know your own value, you'll forever live your life in the shadow of others' opinions and expectations. Self-respect. If you don't know your own value, Gentlemen, if you don't know who you are, if you don't know why you are a man, if you are not in, I hate to use this, but I'll, I'll use it anyway. If you are not in touch with who you are as a man, nobody else is ever going to respect you. If you, don't have res if you don't have respect for yourself, don't expect anybody else to respect you. Why? You say, well, Pastor John, that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? We're not talking about pride. We're not talking about arrogance. We're talking about self-respect. You will always either undervalue or overvalue yourself if you constantly compare yourself with others. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, For we don't classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, but in measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding. <laughs> if you find your value in how you compare to someone else, then you don't understand what it means to be an individual created in the image of God. Gabriel and Michael play baseball, and they're good. And they're probably the two best players in the league they're playing in right now. Um, Gabriel, I think they're eight games, eight or nine games in, and Gabriel has pitched in like six of them. He finally, I'm, no lie, he finally gave up a hit yesterday. He had not given up a hit, all, a hit, all your life. My father and Mike have been there. And, and Gabriel, 
Every out he has recorded as a pitcher has been by strikeout. He's good. Michael, Michael leads the league in home runs. Michael is the same. Michael's given up a couple hits as a pitcher, but Michael has struck out almost everybody he's faced. And in the field, they have both turned double plays by themselves. And they've been incredible. They're good. And the reason I know they're good is not just because I'm their father and I know and I can watch them play and I can see it. Other fathers, one father in particular came to me and he said, my son is learning the game. Gabriel and Michael are nine, uh, almost 10, and they're at the, at the upper level of the AAA league. Other kids are eight. Some of them are seven getting ready to turn eight. So they're really learning the game. One father came to me and he said, I've told my, my son, if he wants to know how to play baseball, to watch your boys. To watch your boys. Another father came to me and I had to kind of talk to him a little bit about his son. He's young and it's my responsibility to mentor younger men. And he's like, you know, I wish my boys were as good as your son, your, your sons. He said, listen, man, my sons have been playing baseball since they could breathe. We've been, we've been playing baseball since the day they came into the house. Between me and Gabe and Aaron would get out there and throw the ball around them. And, and with their big brother, Zach, and with their grandfather, I mean, great, they think it's the greatest thing in the world. Their grandfather comes to watch their games and their uncle Mike comes to watch their games. It's a, it's a show for them now. I mean, they've got support. But don't compare your sons, your, your boy, to my sons because he's not there yet. He's got a long road to walk. He's got a long road to go. And he's younger. He's a year and a half younger. A year and a half ago, my boys weren't what they are today. They put the work in. They put the practice in. They put the time in. Don't compare your sons to my sons. Listen, if your boys don't like sports, don't compare your sons to my sons. If your boys do like sports, don't compare your sons to my sons. There will always, somebody in the equation will come up short, whether it's my sons or your sons. Somebody will come up short. And you know what the Bible says? You're not wise for doing so. Why? Because God created you to be you, not me. God created your son to be your son, not my son. One of the worst things you can do for yourself, and the one thing, one of the things that you can, can, can destroy your self-respect or dim your self-respect is if you compare yourself to somebody else. And if you want to make yourself, uh, if you want to increase your arrogance factor, compare yourself to those who you think are less than you, and you will always think you're better than them. The Bible says that's not wise. Jesus simply assumed that we would have love and respect for ourselves. He simply assumed it. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, Luke chapter 10, verse 27 says, Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5.14 says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> Have self-respect for yourself and love your neighbor that way. We marvel at the prodigal son's father, right? Because after this kid did everything, what did this father do? He showed him grace and love and compassion and welcomed him back. We marvel at the Samaritan who, as he was walking, 
saw a man that was almost dead on the side of the road. And he was a Jew. And he was a man who was completely, they were, they were enemies. They were mortal enemies. They hated each other, those two societies. Yet this man stopped and he picked this man up and he put him on his donkey. And he took him to an inn and he bound up his wounds and he cleaned his wounds. Which in and of itself is an amazing thing. And then he paid for the stay. And he paid for the food. And he said, if there's man owes anything else after this, I will pay it when I come back. Now, one aspect that we don't always bring out about that Samaritan man is this. He must have been a man of incredible character. Because that business owner took him at his word. That when he came back, he would pay. But both of those men showed incredible self-respect. Because they treated that individual who have, was so wrong and so bad with love and grace and compassion. And you know that the only way they could truly do that and the only way that Jesus would say that that's the way we should be is if that was true love motivated out of self-respect for themselves. Listen, you shouldn't need to be coaxed, convinced, or coddled into self-respect. You are made in the image of God. That alone should be enough for you. you. Listen, you don't have to be the most beautiful creature on earth. You don't have to be the fittest creature on earth. You don't have to be the best of anything. You will never measure up to a standard that others set. You need to simply know that God created you and he created you in his image. And the love that gives you eternal life is the love that sent Jesus to the cross and the love that provided salvation is the sacrificial love of one who loves you more than you can know. Just the way you are. Not comparing you. Jesus doesn't look and say, you know, John Chase isn't Billy Graham. That's never good. Yeah, that's a comparison that never will come out in my favor. I'm not Bishop T.D. Jakes. I'm not Pastor, uh, Dr. Tony Evans. I'm just John. You know what? Jesus loves me as much as he loved Billy Graham, as much as he loves T.D. Jakes, as much as he loves Tony Evans. And I need to love myself the same way he loves me just as I am. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want to better myself. That doesn't mean that I don't want to uh, be, you know, change some things about myself because we're all in the process of growth and we're all becoming better people. But if I am going to have true godly character and display that true godly character to others, I must have self-respect. Why? Because self-respect is the ultimate honesty. I know who I am in Jesus. I accept myself as I am. I may not be what I want to be. 
I may not be what I'm going to be, but I am who I am in Jesus. And right now, in this moment, that's enough. Because I know right now, in this moment, he has a plan for me. Right now, in this moment, in my home, I have a wife that needs a husband. I have two little boys who need a dad. Not just any husband, not just any dad. They need a man of God, a man of godly character, who will be honest with himself and with God and with them about who he is. They need a man who respects himself, even though I'm a gimp, even though I'm going to be sitting the rest of the day, coaxing and nursing my leg back to, back to not feeling terrible, they still know that I respect myself for who I am and I love them and I'm going to be the best I can be for them. I'm not going to compare myself to other people. I'm going to be John. Right now, in this moment, in this point in my life, as a follower of Jesus, that's enough. Can you say the same? Can you say that you have the respect for yourself that God has for you? Can you say that you have the love for yourself and others that God has for you? Because if you are trying and wanting to be a person of godly character, and if you are trying to bring to your marriage the godly character that will help build it and make it strong so that your family will be a strong Christian family and your family will be a strong part of this church. That's where it has to begin. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord, thank you for the privilege of being here today in your house. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, thank you for those who were able to join us live and those who were able to join us online. Father, we're asking a lot of hard questions and we're really trying to deep, dig deep into what makes us who we are in your sight, in your truth. Father, I pray that we'll take what we've learned and heard today and apply it to our lives. May we dig in deep, Lord, and ask ourselves the difficult questions. May we desire more than anything to be people of character before you and in all our relationships, especially in our marriages. Bless us now as we go today. Father, as we go through our lives and do the things we do, may we honor you in all things. May we be worshipers and ministers. May we be the light in the darkness. In your name we pray. Amen.